for letting us be here. It, what a joy it has been for us uh, to be with you, and I mean that sincerely, that we have thoroughly enjoyed being with you uh, these past few days, and um, we have truly gotten to love you, and we have felt that love uh, from you to us. Uh, but I want you to know that I am nothing uh, apart from Jesus Christ and apart from my family. And I'd like for my family to come up. I'd like you to meet them. So I asked my wife and my three girls to come up at this time. I'd like to introduce you to them. My son and his wife and our precious grandchildren will be here at the 11 o'clock service. I'm sorry they couldn't be here any earlier. He works third shift, got off work, and is driving this way. So pray for them as they come. Uh, because I absolutely want you to meet my son and daughter-in-law, but you just must meet my grandchildren. <laughs> this is my wife, Angie, of 27 years. We came together. God brought us together at Bluefield College uh, back in 1986. Where we began to date and been together ever since. And uh, she's the, the joy of our home, the laughter of our home, and uh, my right hand and my rock. And then uh, Heather is my oldest. And she's 22 at Liberty University. Hannah is next. And she is the 10th grader at LCA. And Lydia is our baby. Uh, She is the 6th grader also at LCA. And I know that you will love them as they will love you as well. Thank you. You know, I I really have no idea what God's going to do today, but already he has answered one prayer, and that is that I had prayed that his spirit would be made known, and I have sensed his spirit today. And so we praise God for that, uh, that he he has been here with us. And uh, as we, we all have expectations, we've all had expectations uh, uh, today before we ever got here. We had expectations of being here uh, this morning. We, we knew that the building would be here. We expected the building to be here. We expected that for most of us, when we got here, the lights would be on, uh, that the air would be on, that it would be comfortable for most of us. Some of us may need a jacket or whatever, but, uh, but we were expecting that probably, as you know. Uh, but we, we expected that we would come, that we would sing, that we would pray, and that we would hear message. I had expectations uh, today as I came. I, I expected that there'd be people here this morning. I sort of thought that might be, be the case. I expected you to be here. I expected you to be gracious as you have been, and we have not been mistaken about that. And I also am expecting uh, that you're going to give me an amen every once in a while. Because I love, let me just tell you, I love amens. Amen? Amen. All right, good. Now, now you had expectations as well. You had expectations that the prospective pastor would be here this morning. You had those expectations before you came today. And you probably expected that he'd be a funny preacher and good looking. Or that he'd be a good preacher and funny looking. So either way, you got it. But nevertheless, I, I do want to share with you uh, some, ex, some, some from the Word of God expectations 
that Jesus laid out for us as his disciples. Maybe, maybe you already know these expectations that Jesus gives to us. Maybe we need a refresher this morning. Maybe this is new to you, but whatever the case, I want us to take a look at what Jesus says that he expects of those who come after him, those who are his disciples. And may we truly be challenged to be and do what exactly it is that Jesus expects of us. Just a couple of verses this morning, a few verses, Luke 9, verse 23 through 26. I'm going to read that for you, but I would ask if you would, this is what I've done for years now uh, at uh, Midway, and I would ask that you would do this as well, if you're able to please stand in honor and reverence to the word of God as I read that for you today. And it tells us here, Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, that he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity today to be able to break open the word of God and just share. But Lord, we thank you for your spirit's presence already made known. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in every heart. Lord, this is not about Joey. Lord, it's not about Mount Pleasant, but it's about the Holy Spirit working in our hearts for the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there are those here today who don't know you, Lord Jesus, as their Savior, may this be that time, this hour, Lord, where they will come to know Christ as Savior and have the freedom that only you can bring. But Lord, also for those of us who are Christians, Lord, we pray that you'd use the Word of God also to pierce through our hearts where maybe we have grown callous in some areas of our life. Lord, may you challenge us this morning, and by the power of your Spirit, may you just bring about the conviction that we need, or maybe there's areas in our lives that we need to be comforted. But whatever the case may be, Father, we pray that you would have your way in every heart and every life. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, last year... Uh, I, I read the book, and some of you may have read uh, one or two of these books by Nick Ripkin, one of a uh, missionary. He wrote the book, uh, The Insanity of Obedience, and I read that last year. Very convicting, very challenging book. But I want to just take, as, at the beginning of the message, to sort of give you a little bit of his introduction uh, in that book uh, that really spoke to my heart. It set the tone uh, for that book, and I thought it was appropriate for the message Uh, this morning as well. Let me just read just an excerpt from his prologue or the introduction. He said, recently, we led a training meeting with some new, some believers in China. In public remarks, I I commented on the significant spiritual harvest among the Chinese. I enthusiastically described how that harvest had been an encouragement to the global body of Christ. My tone, he said, was almost boastful. But that was not my intention, of course. I was simply overwhelmed by the work of the Spirit in drawing people to faith. But he said, after my remarks, a Chinese house church leader asked me to join him for a meal. And with unfaltering gentleness, this church leader firmly challenged the number of believers in China that I had cited. He said, I will never forget what he said of that. And the Chinese leader said, of that large number of believers that you described in your talk, two thirds of those people are what we would call members. 
only one-third of those people are whom we would call true followers of Jesus. Well, he says, I was puzzled by that distinction. I asked my new friend to explain the difference in these two categories, and he said, probably two-thirds of the people you mentioned regularly attend a house church. Most of those people have been baptized. Most of those people contribute financially to the work of the house church. But then he paused before continuing, and he said, but we do not consider church members to be true followers of Jesus until they have led other people to Christ and until they have helped plant more house churches. And so Nick Ripkin says, I began to absorb his comments seized by the implications of what this church leader was suggesting. The next question which entered my mind was intensely personal, and that is, am I simply a member of the church or am I a true follower of Jesus Christ? The crucial question is, are we simply members of a church or are we true followers of Jesus Is there anything in our lives that we are holding outside of God's authority and control? Is there any place in the world that we are unwilling to go for him? Is there any person that we are unwilling to love or unwilling to forgive? He said, essentially, are we simply members of a group or are we true followers of Jesus and part of his body? Are we truly Jesus's disciples? Friends, I believe that as Jesus' disciples, he tells us very clearly in this passage today that he does have expectations of us. And you'll see that there are three things that I believe we can see in this passage. And the first thing, the expectation of a disciple by Jesus is surrender. Surrender. As we look at verse 23 again, it says, if any, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, we're going to dwell right there in that verse for the message this morning. But there in verse 23, that first part, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. You see, to deny oneself means that we put self aside. That sounds easy enough, doesn't it? That I'm just going to put myself aside so that I can do whatever Christ wants me to do. But to deny means to deny utterly. To deny means to disown self. To deny means to affirm that one has no connection with another, meaning that I am no longer connected to myself, but I am now connected to Jesus Christ. I am surrendering my all to him. Denying self is more than we think and have possibly even accomplished. You see, putting self first started back in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve with the forbidden fruit. God had told Adam and Eve, if you remember the story, they could eat all of the fruit in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Eve was tempted to doubt God and saw that the fruit was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. And so she took of the fruit and gave it to Adam. And so that first sin, which made mankind sinful sinners, that first act of disobedience and rebellion against God was centered around self. It was what she wanted, it was what she thought, it was what she desired. And through all the ages from the Garden of Eden, which I do believe was an actual literal garden, by the way, through all the ages until now, sin is still rooted in 
self. And now fast forward to today's passage, and Jesus tells his disciples that if you are to come after me, let him deny himself. And you know, today that's not very easy for us to deny self. It's not easy to deny self because culture is continually bombarding us with the message that it is all about you and it's all about me. And we are still looking around in this culture today, looking for all of those ways which will satisfy self. We're looking for what is it that makes me comfortable? What is it that I can do? How can I do what I want? Uh, How can I get my way? And it all starts in us as newborns, and it continues throughout our life. But as disciples, as we come to Christ, we give ourselves completely over to him. We disown ourself and we deny ourself and follow Christ. When Jesus gives us this expectation, he says, let him deny himself. It's in the imperative language, meaning that it must be done. It's a command. It is an expectation. It must be done. We must deny ourselves, but it's also in the grammatical tense, meaning that the action absolutely takes place, meaning that we will absolutely deny ourselves if we are coming after him. There's no question. There is no wiggle room. We are denying ourselves and coming after Jesus Christ. We're disowning ourselves. The old self, the old nature, the old life, we are getting rid of that. We are no longer a part of that, but we are now a part of who Jesus is and what he has done in and through us. It is total surrender to Jesus Christ. That's his expectation. As believers, as we become disciples of Jesus, our life is no longer ours. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. And he says, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who now lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life. It's his life in me. I have denied myself. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, Paul says to the church at Corinth, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not, what? Your own. You're not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which we think about surrender in terms of defeat. And indeed, the old life is defeated in this surrender But when we surrender to Christ, we are not surrendering into defeat, friends. We are surrendering into victory through Jesus Christ. Amen? You see, as surrender means that he is the Lord of my life. He is the Lord over my life. I am not Lord over my life. He's the Lord over my life. He owns me. He rules me. I am his and he is mine. He has complete authority over me. And so the followers of Jesus have have denied themselves. We give ourselves to him. Verse 24 tells us, for Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life, meaning clinging to his life, will lose it. But whoever, whoever loses his life, whoever surrenders that life for me, for my sake, will save it. We lose ourselves for his sake and for his glory. 
You know, but as we look across the landscape of American culture and the churches of today, we have to wonder sometime, have Christians today really surrendered to Jesus Christ? Because you know what? A lot of times we are good at talking a good talk, but often not so good at walking that walk. You know, I came across this illustration years ago where somehow someone had taken some uh, songs and uh, told us a little bit about thinking about how we surrender and are we really the Lord's. And he said, we like to sing an old hymn, I surrender all, when in reality we have surrendered very little. We like to sing sweet hour of prayer and we're content with five to ten minutes a day. We like to sing, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, but we don't use the one that we have. We like to sing, serve the Lord with gladness, but then we gripe and complain about all we have to do. Can I get a witness? <laughs> we like to sing, I love to tell the story, but we never mention it at all. We like to sing, standing on the promises, while most often we're just sitting on the premises. We like to sing 10,000 reasons, but instead we come up with 10,000 excuses. And we like to sing, soul on fire, but too often we act like we've had a wet blanket thrown on, on us. Friends, the question is this morning is, are we as who claim to be followers of Christ, are we really surrendered to Jesus? Have we denied ourselves? Secondly, we see here, not only do we see that, that we deny ourselves, that his expectation of his disciple is full surrender, but also we see, secondly, sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice, Pastor? Are you seriously saying that we are supposed to sacrifice? Certainly, Jesus doesn't want me to sacrifice. Certainly, he wants me to be happy and healthy and wealthy and wise. Well, there are plenty of TV preachers and others who'll tell you that. But what does Jesus say here in verse 23? Again, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and... Take up his cross daily. Take up his cross daily. Here he says that, and if I want you to know something here, that just the verse prior to that in verse 22, right before Jesus tells this, these expectations to his disciples, look at what he's saying here in verse 22. What's the context? Let's look. He says in verse 22 that the Son of Man must, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So, and then he goes right into, and he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, and he, and he quotes the expectation. So what Jesus is saying to the disciples as he is standing before them or sitting in front of them, he says, look, he's saying, look, I am about to suffer. I'm going to suffer by rejection and will be killed for your sake and raised the third day. And now you, as my disciples, well, you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Take up our cross. Sacrifice. Take up our cross. You know, we really, we really have no idea in our culture what it is to take up our cross. There are brothers and sisters all over the world who understand what taking up their cross really means. For some believers today, to take up their cross means that they're being pushed out of their homes by their families because they want to follow Jesus. Some, some brothers and sisters today are being beaten by a mob because of their faith in Christ. 
There's some brothers and sisters who will go to prison who are in prison and be treated with cruelty today for their faith in Jesus Christ. There are lives of brothers and sisters who are being killed or tortured because they will not recant their faith in Christ. They are told that if you will just say you do not believe in Jesus, we will let you go. And they will not do that because they love Jesus Christ. And he is their everything. And they sacrifice. For some believers today, taking up the cross means losing friends, losing jobs, and influence because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Taping, taking up your cross for some is going to the hard-to-reach places. Taking up the cross for some is going to the hard-to-reach people. Taking up the cross for some is, is loving unconditionally those who want to kill you, and they very well may do it. Taking up the cross means sacrificially giving of resources and energy and time and often their very lives so that others can hear of the saving power of the name that's above every name, Jesus Christ. But too often in our culture, too often in our culture among our churches, we may hear someone say that they are taking up their cross because they have to, they have to teach Sunday school. They're taking up their cross because they have to fix a meal to take it to somebody who's in need. Or they take up their cross because they have to walk across the road to invite somebody over to, to tell them about the Lord or or they have to get up early to pray, or they have to stay, up light to, to stay up late to read the Bible. And while all of these are worthwhile and they must be done, too often, even in those simple tasks, we can look for and often will find excuses why we cannot do them because we say the sacrifice is too great. Really? We may use the word sacrifice a good bit, but do we really understand taking up a cross? Do we really comprehend sacrifice? In our culture, the truth is that we sacrifice a little, if anything. We cling to those things of this world so tightly because they are what we think brings great satisfaction to us. Verse 25, Jesus says, What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? But people are trying to find their satisfaction in those things. But Jesus says there's no profit in that. Listen to what one commentator says. He said, In this present life, if this present life is most important to you, you will do everything you can to protect it. Let me just say that again. If this present life is most important to you, you will do everything you can to protect it. You will not want to do anything that might endanger your safety or your health or your comfort. By contrast, if following Jesus is most important, you may find yourself in unsafe, unhealthy, and uncomfortable places. You will risk death, but you will not fear it because you know that Jesus will raise you to eternal life. Nothing material can compensate for the loss of eternal life. Jesus' disciples are not to use their lives on earth for their own pleasure. They should spend their lives serving God and serving people. And so you see, friends, as disciples of Jesus Christ, the expectation that he has for us, we really have two options here as his disciples. We can either make earthly life the most important thing and ultimately lose everything we dreamed of and accomplished, Or we can make Christ's kingdom the most important thing in life and gain true life. 
Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul said, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, all the things of this earth, all the popularity that I have received, all the positions that I have held, all of that is now nothing to me because now it's all about Jesus that I may know him and live in the power of his resurrection. But unfortunately for us today, I'm afraid that we're not willing to go that far because we really like to be comfortable and things to suit things our way. Sacrifice involves lordship. Sacrifice involves trust. I, I deny myself. I take up the cross. I trust you, Lord, with, with my life. I trust you with my path. I trust you, Lord, with the outcome, no matter, no matter what that looks like. And as a disciple, we had to ask, are we willing to say that? Lord, no matter what, no matter what, I'm yours. But friends, it is what Jesus expects of a disciple. What an expectation and what a privilege and joy to sacrifice all for my king, the one who died for me on the cross of Calvary, who took my sin upon himself, who absorbed my wrath of God upon himself and went to the cross to take that for me and rose again bodily from the grave. What a joy it is and a, and a privilege it is to be able to serve and to sacrifice for my king. And so Jesus expects not only surrender and sacrifice, but he also expects servanthood. Servanthood. The latter part of that verse, we'll just read it all again. If anyone, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus says, they must follow me. Following Jesus is discipleship. Following Jesus is obeying him. Following Jesus is, is, it is absolute obedience to him. It is following his example. It is following his word. It is, it is following wherever he leads. It is doing whatever and being whatever, whenever, wherever, however he leads. Amen? That's following Jesus, whatever you want, Lord. It is serving as he served. It is being surrendered to the will of the Father as Jesus was surrendered to the will of the Father. It is willing to sacrifice all for his glory. It is putting other people first. It is pointing people to the way, the truth, and the life. It is going wherever he leads. It is doing whatever he commands. It is saying whatever needs to be said. It is being quiet when he calls us to be quiet. It is loving the unloved loved and the unlovable. It is reaching out to the unreached. It is sowing the seed of the gospel to those who have not heard or who do not know. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 4, 19, as he called them, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Following Jesus is pointing people to Jesus. It is meeting people where they are and point them to Jesus Christ. I go back to what Nick Ripkin said in the, in, in the beginning of his book where he says, are we true followers of Jesus or are we simply members of a group? 
Nick Ripkin also says in his book there that if the resurrection is true, then that changes everything. Boy, that's good stuff right there. If the resurrection is true, then that changes everything about how we live our lives, right? We now have hope. We have assurance. We are surrendered to him. We sacrifice all because this is not our home. We have a home that's waiting for us that's a much better place. Amen? And we are his servants. We will do whatever he says to do, be whatever he says to be, and go wherever he says to go. The question then is if the resurrection is true, that changes everything, is are we living, listen, are we living like the resurrection is true? Have you denied yourself? Will you take up your cross? Will you follow Jesus? Following Jesus. This past week, uh, this past Monday night, I was at a training meeting at the North American Mission Board in Atlanta. Somebody stepped up uh, before we got there and gave a, gave a donation uh, to the ambassadors, which is a new thing that I just picked up not too long ago, and the ambassadors to be able to go to the Atlanta Falcons-Philadelphia Eagles game in Atlanta. It was a quite... Uh, uh, quite an experience for me because I had never been to an NFL game, and uh, the ticket was free uh, by donors. So I said, hey, let's go. So about 25 of us got on the bus, and we went to that game, and it was a pretty good game. I'm not, I'm not a big NFL person, but uh, I thought it was a pretty good game, and, uh, the, and lo and behold, Atlanta won. And, amen. That's right. Atlanta won. And somebody said it was a, a miracle by God's grace, but whatever it is, it's what happened. And so we were there, and, uh, and of course, the, the end, we stayed to the very end of the game, and, the, and of course, the crowd was crazy. It was, I don't know how many thousands of people, they were crazy. And we had 25 of us in our group, and we came out from where we, where we were sitting, and we were sitting uh, in the nosebleed section way up there. And we came down, and as we come down to, the, uh, to where we to come out, and, and you got to go down all these different levels and what have you, the crowd was crazy. I mean, it was, everybody was moving in this direction. I mean, they were just moving, moving. It's like a, a tide of people. But the guide, the guy who was with us, who was leading our group, said, we need to go that way. <laughs> okay. I mean, the whole, everybody is going this way. We need to go that way. He'd been there before. He knew what he was doing. So uh, we took off, all 25 was following the guide. We're taking off. And, you know, and, and I realized after just one time I looked down, and I thought, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And so finally called him, and I decided I am not putting my head down. I am keeping my head up. I am watching that guy the whole way because I have no clue where I am. No clue. So the... The timing, the people are coming, they're coming, they're coming. And honestly, the temptation was, we must be going the wrong way. We have got to be going. I mean, everybody else is going this way, and we're going that way. I'm following my guy. You know, if I'm lost, we're all lost together. I'm, I'm just going to be right there. I'm going to follow that guy. And lo and behold, in just a few minutes, we got to a level, and, to the, and we went right out and got to the bus. And, you know, as I was standing there thinking about, an illustration came to mind. Aren't we living in a world where the culture is like a tide that is constantly pushing against us and going in the opposite direction? And the temptation for us to, is to say, 
they must be doing it right because they're all going that way. But friends, let me just tell you, they're not. But we have a guide who has made the way, who's been there, and who knows which way we need to go. And we may not always understand it, but he's the guide, and we follow him. And we never, never take our eyes off of him. Never. Because he knows where he's leading us. And so we must follow him. He's the perfect guide. He is the way. His way is right. His way is best. And we must follow always. And he will bring us through. Now, now I know that you are here today to make a decision about a pastor. I sort of got a clue about that somewhere. But I want you to know this morning that the greatest decision you can make today has nothing to do with the pastor, but has everything about following Jesus. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you can know him with a step of faith. A step is the way I present the gospel, the S-T-E-P. The S is that you must admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin, the penalty for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we acknowledge we're sinners in need of a Savior, and we, in, in the midst of that, we turn from our sin, and we turn toward Jesus Christ. It is repentance. We confess to Him, our Lord, that we are sinners and that we need Him to save us, repenting of our sin. The Bible says in Acts 3.19, to repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come in the pres- from the presence of the Lord. So we acknowledge we're sinners. We turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, and we embrace, the letter E is we embrace that Jesus is God's Son. We believe that with all of our heart, that Jesus is God's Son who died on the cross of Calvary for us, that we've trusted him by faith uh, to have paid the penalty for our sin on Calvary's cross, and that he rose again. Romans 10, 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe, embrace. And the letter P is to profess. Profess him as the Savior and Lord of your life, saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes to him. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't mean, doesn't say that you have to be a certain class of citizen. It doesn't mean that you have to be a certain uh, been in the church for a long time or doesn't mean that you are, are young or old. It says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the most ins- important decision and the best decision you'll ever make is to invite him to be the Lord of your life. Now, Christian, let me ask you real quickly this morning too. Look at verse 26 real quick. Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and the holy angels. Christians, we need to be stepping it up for the day is approaching quickly when Jesus will return. Amen? It's coming. He's on the way. The archangel may have already licked his lips to, to blow the trumpet. I don't know. 
but I'm ready for Jesus to come. But until he comes, we are to be about the Father's business. We are to be pointing people to Jesus all the time, meeting people right where they are. And so as Christians, let me just challenge you. Let us not cower in fear of the enemy and his attacks. But rather, let us be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, being fully surrendered to him, denying ourselves, willing to sacrifice all for his glory, taking up the cross, being his servants, following him. One last little illustration I want to share with you. I've had it for quite a few years in my uh, file cabinet, and I love it. Someone once scribbled down that they were ready to be called a follower of Jesus. And so they wrote down these words. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and I am done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be topsed or recognized, praised or regarded or rewarded. I now live by his presence, lean by faith, love by patience, and lift by prayer and labor by power. He said, my face is set My goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions may be few, but my God is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, I cannot be compromised, I cannot be detoured or lured away or turned back, diluted or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. I will not ponder at the pool of popularity or me in the maze of mediocrity for I won't give up and I won't shut up and I won't let up and I will not burn up until I have preached up till I have preached up until I have prayed up till I have paid up and stored up and stayed up for the cause of Christ for I am a disciple of Jesus for I must go until he comes and give until I drop and preach until everybody knows and then when he comes to get me he'll have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but man, I want that. Amen? Amen. That's what I want, to be that follower of Jesus Christ. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And again, the most important decision is to follow Jesus. Whether you've never done that, you want to receive Christ, or whether you need to recommit your heart and life to Christ today, we believe God's at work. And so, in a moment after we pray, the pastor will be, pastor Joe will be here. Uh, to share and to be here to receive you if you make a decision. So let's pray together. Father, we praise you and thank you that you have given your all for us. Lord, may we never lose sight of the great sacrifice that has been paid for our salvation. Lord, how you love us 
Lord, we're not worthy of that love, but you love us. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to you. You expect us to be surrendered and to sacrifice and to serve you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd be with your people who have said yes to Jesus. Lord, that you would just renew their faith and refresh their spirit today. And, Lord, may you guide in all of our hearts to be the people you want us to be as your disciples. Also, Lord, we pray if there are those here today who have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, Lord, this is the hour. Let them come and just say, yes, I want to invite Jesus into my life. They'll never be, uh, they'll never be, they'll never regret that decision. They'll never regret that decision. And so, Lord, we praise you for that. And so, Lord, may you have your way in every heart and life in Jesus' name. Amen.